Amen. How many have been enjoying the, the new series about David's life? Enjoying that? Amen. Good, good, good. Open your Bibles, if you will. 1 Samuel chapter 25 today. It's good to see everybody. What a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. It must be a great day today. Amen. Because you all just come in cheery today. That was good. That's good. 1 Samuel chapter 25. We are, there's so much information and so many great stories about David's life that we have to uh, narrow it down and pick certain specific times in David's life that we talk about. Um, we go back to the very beginning. We, we saw that David was uh, just a 15-year-old kid, and uh, God anointed him as the future king of Israel after Saul had rebelled against God and said no several times. And so God ripped the kingdom, it says, from Saul, gave it to David. But that was all futuristic. So once David was anointed as king, he still was a shepherd boy. And he still was out in the field. And we talked after that about David being his father's errand boy, would run to where his brothers, three brothers, were fighting against the Philistines, and he would bring them food. And God moved the circumstances about where David was able to kill Goliath, and instantly David was a teen sensation. All right, 15 years old, he killed a giant, and he skyrocketed with his fame. So he got to be around Saul's house a little bit, and his family, and God took the Spirit of the Lord off of Saul and put it on David. And then put on Saul an evil spirit, the Bible says. This is really significant. Put an evil spirit upon Saul. And from that time, he was plagued with fear and with anxiety. And so David became part of the family of the king, and Jonathan and David became what? Best friends. And Jonathan understood that God had given David the kingdom. And this infuriated King Saul, that his son was willing to give up his position, give it to David, and just want to be David's right-hand man. And so just crazy stuff. And then David became a great warrior, and um, such a great warrior that the, the women of the city began to sing about David, made up a song. Saul had killed his thousands, but David had killed his ten thousands. And Saul was furious, tried to kill him on several occasions, sent him off into war, hoping that in the, the war with the Philistines he would die, but every time he was spared. Then he finally took a javelin and tried to kill him personally a couple of times. David, again, ran for his life. And so now he's been out into the field several years hiding from Saul. So we come to chapter 24. There's this fantastic story that kind of, kind of is the backdrop of where we're going to go in chapter 25. David is hiding in the, in the city, in the wilderness, if you will, of Maon. And he's in a cave. So Saul heard that he was in this, this wilderness. And so he bring his soldiers over to kill David. He can't find David anywhere. So Saul at night, he goes into this cave. To sleep. He goes into his cave. And it's interesting because when he lays down to sleep, he doesn't even realize this is David's lair. This is David's fortress. This cave. David and his men are in this cave. And Saul is just sleeping quietly, thinking he's safe. And David's soldiers see this and they get excited. Look, king, 
David, God has delivered the enemy into your hands. Now you can kill him and you can instantly take the throne. Of course, David wasn't having any of that. He wasn't going to listen to his soldiers. He restrained himself. He went out there when he was sleeping and cut off a piece of his robe. So in the morning when Saul woke up, he went out of the cave and David followed. And he, he hollers out when he gets so far, he said, look, King Saul, I could have killed you, but I did not. Saul began to cry in chapter 24. And he said, David, you're a better man than I. He said, I understand that God's going to give you the kingdom. Will you just do me a favor? Will you watch out for my family? And David said, of course I will. So then Saul goes home. You think that's the end of it, but it's not. Saul still comes after David several times to kill him because this this jealous spirit just rises up and takes over. And there's several things that we learn about this backdrop as we go into chapter 25. So let's look at chapter 25 and verse 1. We're going to talk a little bit about David's wounded ego. And David and Nabal, look at your notes there. It says, now Saul died and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him in the house of Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Maah. There, this is the description of Nabal. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. So he, he actually owned some property in Carmel, but he also owned some land here. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was a, he, it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal and his wife, Abigail. Hopefully that rings a bell. And it's interesting what the Bible says. She was a, a sensible and beautiful woman. Now, we can all say that's our wives, amen? Sensible and beautiful. But then notice it says, but Nabal was a descendant of Caleb, was a crude and mean in all of his dealings. So it was sheep shearing time. Okay, David, the next verse goes on, says David hears that it's sheep shearing time. So he comes and sends 10 men to Nabal's house where they're having this sheep shearing. Now get this, in, get this visual in your mind. They're having this sheep shearing. It's like, it's like harvest. It's like a party. And so David sends 10 men over to his house to get some sheep from him. The reason he wants some sheep from him is because David's men have protected the culture of that day is if you had some military people around your farm, they just instantly protect you from, from scavengers or anybody that comes that would steal the sheep or destroy you. And they would, so they just protected them. And so the idea was that when the sheep sharing time came, you would share some of the benefits with these soldiers because they protected you and they protected your farm. That's just the culture of that day. And so David sent these men out to Nabal. And I want you to grab a hold of Nabal, Nabal's response. Okay? Notice his response. Let's scoot on down to verse 10. Nabal, remember he's mean in all of his dealings, but his wife is beautiful. Who is this fella David? Listen to his response. Who is this fella David? And he sheared at the young man of David. Who is this son of Jesse? Now, think about that. He says, who is David anyway? Everybody knows who David is, right? He killed Goliath. 
He has been brought victory after victory after victory to Saul and his armies. It's David. He's the leader. And they're saying, who is this man? This guy is saying. And he knows who he is because he's the son of Jesse. Now listen to this. There are a lot of servants these days who run away from their masters. He knew exactly what was going on. Saul was chasing David. And this idiot knew it. So he's just messing with David. He's just jabbing. He's literally putting David. These are personal attacks. He said, should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give them to, now notice this, to a band of outlaws? (laughs) I mean, he just, just slamming. How many of you here this morning love to be slammed? Amen. All right. So, so yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay. So from who knows where. And so, so the young man come back to David and they give this response to David. Now, chapter 24, David's out to kill or Saul's out to kill David. And how does David respond? victoriously doesn't lose his temper realizes that he's not going to take vengeance in his own hands look at verse 12 here so david young men returned and told david what nabal said verse 13 get your swords (laughs) he tells 400 men strap on your swords watch this strap on your swords was david's reply as he strapped on his Then 400 men started out off with David while 200 men remained. Everybody getting the story? This is good stuff. I mean, somebody's going to kill him, and he responds fantastically. A man puts him down, and he goes crazy. He goes ballistic, straps on his sword, and he says, come on, guys. Now, you say, well... That's not that, but let's go on down. Finish with me. Verse 20. Verse 21. David said, David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. See, they've been helping him. We we protected his flock in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has replied to me evil for good. You say, well, you might be exaggerating a little. Well, listen to what he says. May God strike me and kill me if one, if even one man of his household is still alive in the morning. (laughs) Okay. So do you think David lost his temper? Have you ever lost your temper? Only four of you? Have you ever lied? I just did, Pastor. Okay. There's some great stuff we can learn from this story, all right? So David, he's got 400 men, and just picture the movie. It'd be a good movie. They've got their swords all strapped up, and they're just... And David, as he's going, he's saying these words in verse 21. That's what he's saying. He's, re, he's just gurgitating this stuff. As he's, when David's young men met with Nabal, there was a servant there. That servant ran over, because Nabal was an idiot, this servant knew it. So he ran over and t- told Abigail, his sensible, 
and beautiful wife. She gathers a truckload of food. And she gets it ready. And then she's going out to meet David. Now follow this. She's going to meet David with all this food and these clothes. David is, you know, just brave heart. Can you picture the brave heart? And and he's coming down. And here comes Abigail. Okay. And she gets to him and she bows down to David. And the first things out of her mouth is, it is my fault, my Lord. She takes the blame. So much great teaching here. Takes the blame. And she says, "Uh, my husband is a fool. She says, my husband is an idiot. Okay, you have to understand, I live with the guy. I know what he's like, all right? And so she's telling this David, this stranger, all of this. Of course, everybody knew David. And as just as, fa- just as fast as David lost his temper, he calmed down. Because he realized something. That God had spared him from sin. And God used Abigail... Because she said, do you really want all these innocent souls on your conscience? I mean, it stopped him dead in his tracks. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take this story and I want to make some application. Okay? Because we need help sometimes with, uh, I mean, I mean, honestly, sometimes we fly off the handle. Okay? Well, a few of you. I'm going to preach just to four people. All right? Just four people raise their hands, so we're going to talk to four people. The rest of you can just, you know, just relax, put up your feet. I'm kidding. We all need this, all right? All right, so look at your, look at your notes. We're going to do four principles to live by. Number one, failures often follow victories. Failures often follow victories. I mean, Saul was out to kill him. I mean, literally kill him and his 600 men. And David had a major victory in his life. Major victory. And what happens so often is we have this major emotional victory. I mean, physical, emotional. We just kind of relax after a hard day and after a great victory. You kind of relax. Well, Satan never relaxes. Him and his demons of hell are always charging Know us front and backwards. And then he can just sneak up on us and say, Fleener. And bring up something and boom. I lose my cool. I lose my temper. And we have to to begin to understand that after victory, so often Satan sneaks in there. He's so sly. We get this huge victory and boom, he attacks us. And we come crushing down because we're not ready. We're not prepared. We didn't see it coming. Let me give you, give, give you another illustration of a Bible character. Elijah. And you probably know this story. Hopefully you do. Elijah is God's man at a time of Ahab and Jezebel, which is the king of Israel, which were wicked, wicked people. And Elijah shows up on the scene and gathers all the Israelites, and he poses a question to them. He said, how long are you going to kind of halt between two opinions? If Baal be God, serve him. If the Lord be God, serve him. Don't do this in-between stuff. And the Bible says, the people never said a word. 
kind of like this girl. Uh, real quiet. No, never said a word. So Elijah says, okay, I'm going to put out a challenge. 450 prophets of Baal and just one prophet of the Lord. So I'm going to put a challenge out here. The 450 prophets, if they call fire, if they call out to their God, Baal, and fire comes down, then you Israelites serve Baal. But if I pray and I call fire down from heaven, then you guys serve the Lord. And the people erupted. Yeah, they wanted this challenge. All right, they wanted a miracle, basically, like the disciples did. All right. So Elijah says, you 450 go first. And you know the story. From the beginning of the morning till noon, these prophets prayed to their God. Silence from their God. At noontime, Elijah decides to crank it up a little bit. Listen to this. You ready? <laughs> he begins to mock them. Look at that. You don't need, I'm just going to read this because I don't, I don't have time to put it up. It says, about the n- noontime, Elijah began to mock them, saying, Shout louder! Don't you love that? Shout louder! He scoffed. For surely, isn't he a god? Perhaps he is daydreaming. Or he's relieving himself. Maybe he's on the pot. I mean, that, it's right there. Okay, in case you're upset with me, it, he, it's right there. All right. Elijah's saying maybe he's, on, he's, he's in the bathroom and he's busy. Or maybe he is on a trip or he's asleep and he needs to be awakened. So what happens? They begin to scream louder, verse 28. And they're screaming because he, he motivated them, right? They begin to cut themselves and the Bible says blood gushes out on the altar. Okay. I mean, this is an amazing scene. Nothing happens. No fire. Nothing. Elijah goes over and prays to the Lord and fire comes down. He kills the 450 prophets of Baal. He goes out into the, uh, by the king, the king's castle, follows him, and he begins to pray for rain because it hadn't rained for how long? Three and a half years. He prays for rain and all of a sudden there's, he prays and he prays and he prays and all of a sudden there's this cloud. Before it becomes a big storm and it rains. <laughs> if you pray for rain and it just happens, isn't that exciting? How many major victory? All right. So hadn't rained for three years and he prays and it rains. First, first he calls revival amongst the Israelites because they killed these prophets and they begin to serve God. And now he prays and rains coming down. Major victory. Major victory. So, of course, after a victory like that, he's no doubt, I need rest. I need food. And so he relaxes. In the morning, Jezebel sends a letter to him and say, I'm going to kill you like you killed my prophets. Wham. He falls. A woman. You guys like that? A woman. He takes down 450, prays and it rains. I mean, the power of God is on this man. A woman threatens him. He runs for four days and he gets so depressed. He says, God, take my life. The point is, after major victories, so often we fall over small, what we would call small, insignificant things, but they're not. 
He just wasn't prepared. He wasn't ready. So often failures happen after victories. We love the victories and we celebrate it, but we're emotionally drained. Amen? Emotionally drained. Physically sometimes drained. So we have to prepare ourselves. Because Satan is going to be in there and he's going to slip in there. Number two, decisions made in anger can be disastrous. Okay? David makes this decision. And if it wasn't for Abigail, this would have been a major stain on his kingdom. Okay? You ever made a decision in anger? Surely you haven't done that, right? None of us have done that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27. Now, I'm reading this out of the Amplified because it's really, really good out of the Amplified Bible. It says, now, I wish I had a pointer here, all right? So follow me, and if you just write these words down on your, on your notes there. It says, do not give the devil an opportunity. Who is not to give the devil an opportunity? Okay? You, Fleener. Do not give the devil an opportunity Opportunity to do what? <laughs> to lead. To lead. Okay, the Lord's leading me, and all of a sudden, I mess up, and so who's leading me? None of us want the devil to lead us. Zero. We all want to be led of the Lord, or at least we want to let, be led by our sensible wife, right? Our sensible and beautiful wife, right? Not by the enemy. But notice this. Do not give an opportunity to lead you into sin by what? By Holding on a grudge. Yeah. But notice this. Nurturing what? Anger. David is on his horse. And he's riding toward Nabal. And what's he doing? He's nurturing, isn't he? This anger. And guess who's in control? Satan is in control. And he is getting more angry and more angry. But, but this applying to us, it's also holding the grudge. It's also harboring resentment and cultivating bitterness. That, that's, that's fantastic because I just want you to see that when you're in that moment of anger, or if you're just hanging on to bitterness, you're, you're just not willing to release it. Guess who's leading your life? It's not the Lord. It's the enemy. Now, of course, the enemy... Satan, he is here to give us abundant life, right? He's here to help us have a great marriage and raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, right? <laughs> okay, Satan is here to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. He's going to lead us to destruction. That's what he's going to do. And so when we get in those moments in our life, understand, especially those decisions that we make in that moment, Boom. Understand, God is no longer leading your life. Number three, quick-tempered responses are dangerous. Quick-tempered responses. All right, so this, is, this was a very dangerous time. But I just want to use another Bible character, and I want to quickly do it because I don't want to... I didn't change my time, so we have a lot of time left. Amen? Okay, so Moses... The Bible says that Moses was the meekest and the most humble man on the earth. Now, for some reason, there's a lot of 
very humble people in our church. God, really, God has blessed us with some easygoing, humble people. Right? Amen? I mean, real life is, is really fantastic. But Moses was like that. Okay? Moses had one problem. He had a lot of problems, but this he had a serious problem. He consistently lost his cool. You wouldn't think that, would you? Easygoing guy like, like us has a problem with losing his cool. <clears throat> Give you a couple of examples. Remember when he, God revealed to him that he's the man that was going to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage? Remember that? God chose him, and he finally understood, I'll be the man. Okay? He goes out to visit the Israelites, and he sees this Egyptian beating this Israelite. And what happens? Instantly, he gets angry. And he charges out after that Egyptian, and not just pull him away and say, guys, stop. He kills the guy in anger, hides him in the sand. Then for 40 years, he has to run for his life on the backside of the desert. You thought that would humble him. It, of course, did. More humility. But then, all of a sudden, he's up on the mountain with God, right? The next scene, he's receiving the Ten Commandments of the Lord. The finger of God is writing these commandments down. Moses comes down. Of course, he's glowing because he's been in the presence of the Lord. And he comes down the mountain and Guess what's there? So the Egyptians ticked him off and he killed an Egyptian. Now he has all these Israelites who should be serving the Lord, but they're not. So what happens? He gets angry. He loses his cool. He takes the tablets and throws them and breaks them. He goes down and gets the calf that they built and he grinds it into powder, puts it in a drink of water and says, you Israelites, drink this. <laughs> he loses his cool. I mean, he literally pops his top. But he's still the humblest man. How's that impossible? Because he's somebody just like us. These things happen. Then he, then he, uh, um, he comes, he comes to the very end of his life. And, uh, God says, I want you to, well, of course, the Israelites were murmuring again. Our anger mostly comes from other people irritating us. That's what happened in Moses' life. Every single time. Every single time. I mean, very rarely do we really get irate with ourselves. Okay? <clears throat> so these Israelites are murmuring because they want some water. Moses' sister just died. And so, you know, it's kind of an emotional time. And he's dealing with these rebellious, stiff-necked idiots for 40 years, all right? He's dealing with these murmuring and complaining consistently. So it does get under your skin, and we can understand that taking place. So Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, he takes his rod and he strikes the rod, rock once and twice. And because of that, we know the story, God the most humblest man, mind you, just like us. God says, okay, you know all those Jews that I killed in the wilderness? They don't get to go into the promised land. 
because of their rebellious and their murmuring, guess what, Moses? You don't get to go into the promised land either. <laughs> what? See, we can, we can be like Moses and have this great, humble, gentle spirit and still lose it because of what other people do. Or because of what, they, what other people say. And it gets under our skin and boom, it causes a problem. And so this is Moses. Trust me, we can fall as well and struggle. So we have to be responding in these moments. Be prepared for these moments of personal attack. And we're going to talk about how to handle our anger in a short period of time. But let's go back to our text. Uh, Samuel chapter 25. This is our our fourth principle. Uh, God has the prerogative to take revenge for us. Now, David was on his way to kill uh, Nabal and take revenge in his own hand. God stopped him. And so I want you to see because he stopped and didn't go forward with it and didn't take revenge in his own hands that God stepped in. I I want you to see how God steps in on behalf of his children. All right? So after David meets Abigail, Abigail goes home to Nabal, verse 36. When Abigail arrives home, <clears throat> excuse me, she found Nabal throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until the next day. All right, you can just visualize that. In the morning, Nabal was sober. His wife told him what had happened, and as a result of that, Moses says, he had a stroke. Stroke. And he lay there like a stone in his bed. You mean just because he verbally attacked David? This is what happens? I'm just telling you the story, amen? I'm telling you what God did. And the next verse It goes a little bit further, and about 10 days later, he died. No, it says the Lord struck him, and he died. Now, none of us wish death upon anybody that verbally attacks us, right? Unless we're in that state of anger, okay? But But my point is simply this. If we just turn all of the things that take place in our life over to him that judges righteously, God who is righteous... We'll do with it, deal with it in his timing and in his own way. He promises in Romans chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. But when we get in the way, God takes his hand off. Proverbs 25. When we take vengeance in our own hand, we do it our way and God pulls back. But when God does it, he does it right. Can I hear an Amen. He does it right. He does it good. Now, not, 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 that's not the end of the story. Nabal, who refused David, got everything. <laughs> because Nabal's dead. David hears about it. And, of course, Abigail's beautiful. She's sensible. I need that in my life. Can I hear an amen, guys? <sighs> I'm giving you an opportunity. Okay? 
Waylon, your wife told me to watch your expression and tell you if you said amen on that point. All right? She told me specifically. All right? So David sends his men and says, hey, listen. <laughs> too late, brother. Just too late. So David sends his men and proposes. She bows herself down and she humbly accepts. Abigail becomes the wife of the future King David. Is that cool or what? So this guy refused him just a few lambs. Got everything. God is just. God is good. And we need to realize if you just turn everything over, we're going to have that abundant life. He offers us abundant life, but we usually don't have it because we're so mad at everybody around us. We're infuriated because life isn't fair. And we don't like the way people talk about us. We don't even like the way people look at us. Can I hear an amen? Oh, they didn't shake my hand this morning. Oh. And we go, we, we get upset over the smallest detail because we live in this world. God's book draws out this fantastic plan for us. Okay? Take these situations that bother us because we're just human. And we're going we're gonna to flip our lids. We're going to get angry. But don't let the sun go down. Give it to God. We're all selfish. We're just like David. Give it to God that judges righteously. I can't tell you how many people have attacked the churches over the past 30 years that I've been involved with. Attack me personally. And God has just taken them down. And I don't want to go into all these details, but one time I was, we were playing some music in our church. Kind of like that first song. How many like that first song today? Whoa! That gets me going. So he comes up to me after service, and he's flying these bad words. And, and this isn't my notes. It's just kind of, I mean, he's just ripping me in front of the whole congregation as they're leaving. Where's my head deacons? Where's, where's my bouncers? Come on. They're just going by. Is this guy, I mean, literally saying these bad four-letter words at me because I played some bar-drinking rock music in church. I wasn't playing Led Zeppelin. He must have thought I was. Stairway to heaven, but I wasn't. All right. How many like that song? Doctrinally, I know it's wrong, but it's so good. I'm the kind of guy, I grew up, I, I was lost. In, and here I'm, my wife would be going like this, okay? So I love any song that has passion. I mean, I just, I, I, just, I just love passion. People get up and sing, just sing it. Uh, kind of like, no, never mind. Because some of you guys like country music. I was going to get into country. But so there's some good passionate songs nowadays for country, right? Some of you guys don't like the new country. I like the new country. All right. I don't know where that came from. Where was that going before that? <laughs> the guy in the back row is going like this. Yeah, uh-huh. Led Zeppelin, yeah. No, seriously, this guy's yelling at me. And by, by the time, he's still going on. Everybody's gone. I said, man, come on, guys. It's, our, we're trying to reach the unbelievers. And this was, this was, I don't know, 10 years ago. You know, I mean, it's nothing compared to now. You know, we're just trying to make it comfortable for, for unbelievers to come to church and hear the gospel and get saved. And he's just going on. It wasn't long after that. His entire life came crumbling down. I did not respond. I did not get angry. One time he came to my house a couple of days later, and he was going to rip me again. My wife laid on the porch, and she said, why don't you just walk on me? <laughs> That's all she did. It wasn't, wasn't anything, you know, serious. She didn't, she didn't say anything. She just laid down and said, why don't you walk on me too then? And so he got mad and goes, walked off. 
But it wasn't, it was shortly after that his life, I'm seriously, came unraveled. Unraveled. Not that I rejoice in that because we're not supposed to rejoice in that. But the point is that God is just. Let him handle these people that attack us and, and, and deal with us. God's righteous. We don't have to defend ourselves. Now I go on and on and on stories. But let's, let's talk about these four thoughts. We've got plenty of time here. I, I think that's right. 25 after? Amen. Four thoughts on how to hang, handle ang- anger. Okay? Four thoughts. Everybody with me? All right. I know several people had that cake that was back there that looked good. Number one, control your heart. Control your heart. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 28. This is fantastic. And I wanted to use it in the King James so you could get this. The heart of the righteous studieth. Studies to answer. But the mouth of the wicked, you notice that? The heart and the mouth. The reason the Lord says this is because out of the bunch of the heart, the what? Mouth speaks. Okay, so before it comes out, the righteous man is studying. The word here, the Hebrew word is ha-na, which means to ponder. And it comes from another word, which means to murmur. Okay, so think about murmur. Think about ponder. You're thinking about your answer. And you're murmuring. You're going over and over on how should I respond. Now follow the thinking here. Okay? Know how you are to answer instead of anger. Know how you are to answer before you blow your top. Practice it over and over. What's, a, what's somebody murmuring when they gossip? When somebody murmurs and, and complains, what are they doing? They're complaining about the situation over and over and over. The idea is here that we study we're going to get personally attacked. We're going to have all kinds of problems. The heart studies that situation, that scenario before it happens so we know exactly how we are going to answer in that moment of rage, in that moment of trial. We've, we already know exactly how we respond. That's what I mean. Study, control. Don't let your heart control you. Don't let your mouth control you. You control your heart. This is the way God wants me to answer. In this situation. And it's all through his word. But if we're not prepared for that. And we don't know how, what the right thing to say in that moment. What are we going to do? That's right. We're going to say the wrong thing. And our anger is going to get the best. Control your heart. Number two. Avoid angry people. Proverbs 22. Now this is scripture. This is in our philosophy. Uh, you got that up there? Proverbs 22, 24, 25, and 26. They're actually 24 and 25. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. Now, why would the Lord say that right here? It seems kind of mean, doesn't it? Don't hang out with, with idiots like Nabal. Don't, don't, don't hang out with these people. Why? Because you will what? Learn to be like them and endanger your soul. This is, this is how, basically, how to handle anger. Control your heart. And then those people that, that have a struggle in this area and you possibly tend this way, 
don't hang around them. Totally Bible. Number three, dress yourself. Colossians chapter three. Dress yourself. Again, this is all scripture. Okay? Dress yourself. Okay? With what? Colossians 3.12 says this. Since God chose you to be a holy people he loves. God chose you to be this holy people. You must clothe yourself with tenderness, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, we are Christians and we love the Lord and... But sometimes we get wrapped up in this, don't we? This dress. I wore my skinny pants today. Did you guys know that? I just, you know, I just kind of wore these. They're not skinny jeans, don't get me wrong. But they are tight, you know. This, and, and these shoes. Everybody like these shoes? I, I, I kind of, the yellow matches the yellow. Everybody, everybody see that? I did this on purpose because this is the stuff that we long for. This is it. We want to impress people with what we drive, how we look, our clothes. All of this stuff is the things we yearn for. We want people to recognize. We want people to esteem us. We want people to like us, not reject us like they did David. So these are the things that we search for. God says, don't clothe yourself. Don't be so... so Involved with this. Close yourself with this. This. What is it again? Tenderheartedness. Mercy. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. This is the things we should long for and, and dress our souls in. Why? And then he goes and he says, make allowance for others' faults. That's what we should long for. Not make fun of somebody that has high water pants. Don't have socks on. I wore white socks to the gym the other day. I haven't done it in 15 years. White socks. How many wear white socks to the gym? Ooh, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the in crowd. I wear these socks that are to come down to here. I'm kidding. <laughs> the guys back there going, huh? All right. My point is, these are the things we, we strive and grab for, and we think people notice us, and, and, and we feel good when we look good. Man, we got to switch that thinking around and have patience with those that have faults. Then notice what he says. Above all, well, he says, remember, the Lord forgave you, and you must forgive others. It's easy to forgive others when you're striving for tenderness, mercy, kindness, gentleness, patience. It's easy when you allow others to have faults. It's easy to forgive. But then verse 14, above all, clothe yourself with love. Above all, I like that. I mean, all these things are great, and we should strive, but above that, even unconditional love. Well, that means, and we're going to get in that moment, the other person's first. They're above you. Okay, dress yourself with the character of Christ. Why? Because it tells you right here, verse. It says, which 
binds us all together in perfect. Look, perfect harmony. If I allow your faults, the other day somebody's over here going, ah, while I'm preaching, that's a fault. Hey, Amen. I wasn't pointing at you, brother. All right, it was just over on that side. Sleeping? Okay. God is preaching. He's speaking through his word and we're sleeping? It's a fault. Okay, we all have faults. But we need perfect harmony, mature harmony. And it only is going to come when we have this above all love. And that brings us to the last point. Value others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. And then this is the Lord talking. And he's giving an example of himself. All right. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as, now hang on. Notice that word better. Better than yourself. The word better in the Greek means superior. More excellent. That's foreign to our thinking, isn't it? Uh, I'm supposed to value Aaron, that Aaron's more superior than me? Yes. We live in this generation where, you, you know, your, your self-esteem is supposed to be up, way up here. And if we had this low self-esteem, we think, what was me? Well, reality, we should have a high esteem of Christ and a low esteem of ourselves. Because when we have a high esteem and we realize how much he loves us, that pulls us up. We have this great relationship with the Lord. And then we don't have to worry about our self-esteem. We start esteeming others better than ourselves. Superior. And when you value others the way God tells us to value each other, the anger is gone. We sure have patience with ourselves, right? We have patience with our family. Sometimes out, outside of the family, we're not so patient. But when we go outside the family, we start valuing people. Then our anger isn't really a problem. Because we love them so much. We're there to help. We're there to be a blessing. We're there to encourage. This is fantastic stuff. This is... This is prime rib. How many like prime rib? This is, this is fantastic stuff. But here's what we need. We need to implement it. When you say, God, I, I hunger to be dressed, you know, so-so that people look at me and they like me. And, you know, I, I like that. I don't like rejection. But, Lord, I need to hunger for these, the characteristics of Christ. Lord, I need you to help change my wonder. Help me to change my thinking to where I long for patience, gentleness, and the character of Jesus Christ. We need to implement this stuff. So we're going to just have a few moments of where everything's silent. Okay, We're going to give you an opportunity to pray right where you're at. I mean, if you want to come down, that's fine. But it doesn't matter where you pray. All that matters is that, that you pray to God and say, God, I heard this morning. I don't want to be like David. I don't, want to, I don't want to lose my temper. I don't want to be in that moment of victory and all of a sudden I fall. And Lord, I need to long for your character. I need to clothe myself with your character. Right where you're at, cry out to God. 
That's what matters. If it's going to help you to come up here this morning and you can pray and you can cry out to God because it helps. Sometimes it does help to get in front of people and, and say, I, I'm, just going to, I'm just going to do it. So it means something. Sometimes when you just sit in your chair, your mind wanders or somebody's talking around you or they're flipping you or whatever, you know, just sometimes you need to come to the altar. I'm just urging you to do something with what you heard this morning. So let's stand. Let's bow our heads for a few moments. As they play softly, this is a time for you and God. Heads about, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. It's just you and God. Talk to God right where you're at. Or if you need to, respond this morning at the invitation. Just come down here. Solidify it in the presence of God, in the presence of His church. Whatever you need this morning, do it. Do it. I urge you, cry out to God in an area that He's touched your life with. Don't hesitate. Do not hesitate. Cry out to God. You need a change. You need some help. This is the time. This is the moment. Do serious business with the Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for your word. We pray this morning that you would allow the Holy Spirit to help us to hang on to the things we've heard, the things, the areas, the specific areas that you spoke to our hearts about. I pray specifically that you would bind Satan in every person's life that's here this morning from plucking out some of these things that we talked about. Help us to remember and make application. And God will be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.